Hello, welcome to Looking Over the Fence with me, Mitchell. And me, Paul. How are you doing today, Paul? You alright? Mate, I'm I'm alright, you know, considering the uh, state of everything and how this uh, how this show's going. Now, onwards and upwards, Mitch. Yes. So, Paul, I think we're going to take a bit of a different spin on it today, aren't we? Um, for the listeners, what we're going to do today is a bit of a different sort of um, theme to the episode. What we're going to do is we're going to try and tackle an issue together by coming up with different solutions for the same issue and sort of argue the points of our solution, hoping that you know we can meet in the middle, there might be middle ground, one of us might be persuaded to jump over the fence um, and hopefully solve the issue together. Go on, Mitch. They're all excited, mate. Tell them what the subject is. You're keeping me in. You know, I, I know what it is, and I'm I'm scared. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so the issue that we're going to tackle today is prison reform, and more specifically, uh, an issue in overcrowding. Um, obviously, it's an issue that, you know, comes up a lot in politics, the justice system, the prison system, how can we... You know, like the war on drugs, how can we tackle that? How can we tackle overcrowding in prisons? Um, it's There's plenty of polls that are done on prison reform. And uh, we were sort of hoping if we could both tackle it together, come up with ideas, and uh, hopefully come to an agreement. And, hey, Keir Starmer listened to us about the uh, energy crisis. Maybe they can listen to us here again. <laughs> Yes, maybe they will. Maybe the government will take our advice and uh, we can hopefully see some prison reform because obviously the younger generation is the future of this country and they need to get their opinions across. And that's what this show's about, isn't it, Mitch? Uh, like the younger generations with two different backgrounds giving their opinions. And like you said, this episode, meeting in the middle because this is something that needs to change. It's the numbers, everything is dreadful for how much it's costing us, how unsuccessful the prison service, rehabilitation, putting them back into society is, making them become better and make them realize what they've done wrong while they're in prison or should prisons not exist or should they be less lenient, more strict. And I think um, well, the overcrowding is absolutely it's just it's not practical it doesn't there needs to be a solution to this mitch do you have a solution for me to bring to the table so that i we can bounce off it yeah so uh, i do actually have my own um solution to this issue paul i'm glad you've asked uh, so i'm i'm scared mitch i'm really scared mate i i mean i i i <laughs> Okay, uh, tell me. This is where cancel culture comes for me. Oh, sorry, sorry. I have no doubt the Twitter... Cancel man... culture, please. This is where cancel culture comes to me. They come for my head. This is where the Twitter mob tackle me. You're brave, mate. You're very brave. I, I am going to lobby. I am going to argue more strict punishments for more serious crimes and also less strict punishments for less 
serious crimes. Right. So, so two ends of the seesaw here. So, how far up, how far up one end of like a serious punishment and less serious punishment? Would you maybe we should ease our listeners in to your opinion? Because I I'm feeling like since you said about the council culture on Twitter, I'm already a bit anxious. <laughs> so. Um, I think we should start off with... The... I'll start on, on one end of the seesaw and go for the lenient. Yeah, what, what end are you going to start it on? The uh... I'll start with the lenient. I'll break them in nicely. Right. So what we're going to go off is we've done a bit of research here and we've looked at the crime numbers for March 21 to March 22. Um, I'll give you a quick rundown on the, the four big numbers that really shout out. Fraud, four and a half million uh, which is up 25% on the year before. Computer misuse, um, stuff like hacking of social medias, data breaches and stuff like that. That's 1.6 million. It's up 89% on the year before. Theft, 2.6 million. That's down 20% on the year before. And violence, um, you know, obviously covering assault, ABH, GBH. 1.5 million, which is down 19%. On the year before, so there's uh, they're the big. So numbers. these are your less serious crimes. Then are these the the ones? No, these are just these are just the big numbers that really shout out for me. Um, and these people that the, these people that have committed these crimes are causing overpopulation in prisons. Yeah, so p- potentially, yeah, if they are being sentenced to prison, obviously you would you would think that you know two point six million thefts. There's going to be a certain num- percentage of them that face prison time. Exactly. Um. I don't necessarily think that theft should be facing prison time. Obviously, we're going to try and tackle this as like broad strokes. Um, obviously, the justice system, yeah, obviously the justice system is going to do everything case by case and serious sort of versions of these crimes are obviously going to be dealt with with serious action. Um. But I feel like stuff like petty theft, shoplifting, stuff like that, it's I don't necessarily feel like prison time is the way to go. What I would say is if the government were to say put out a, a plea for a college, an adult college. That's interesting, mate. So you're saying a plea for a college. Are you what are you thinking here, Mitch? Well, no, so basically they're gonna to appeal to public public colleges. And just say like, oh, we're gonna do, we're gonna try all this, um, this education slash prison reform thing to try and give lower level crime first offenders a way of getting a qualification, and then upon completion, depending if they've met certain parameters, it not going on their record, so they still have um, a good chance of getting a job in that field that they've qualified in. Um, colleges can obviously apply to this appeal. And in return for doing it, get funding so that they can have better facilities. We're gonna have to stop you there. Say funding, mate. You know, um, so we, we we're gonna have to chew the we have to chew the beef on where this money's coming from, mate. Because at the moment, obviously, Liz Truss has put this economy, a country, into a massive amount of debt to obviously help the uh, the rich. So I mean, we, 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 we'll chew the beef on that. I think I've got a good solution for you on that. Uh, I'll bring that to you later on. But continue with your college idea, please. Yeah. So basically, the funding is basically going to be um, what i'm hoping is that the books are going to be balanced between what we would normally pay 
to house an inmate, feed an inmate, the electrical bill of a prison, an overcrowded prison, that is, heating, stuff like that. I'm hoping that the book is sort of balanced on potentially putting them up in student com- accommodation and then giving funding to a college that agreed to take on so many people. So rather than them being in prison and the tax money going into a prison system, the tax money is actually going into an education system, Yeah, which I think would benefit, obviously, the educational system and benefit that college in particular. And obviously any sort of school and adult college and college can apply in return for this funding um, based on the amount of people that they agree to try um, and, and offer the qualifications to. Now, I do want to make sure that I, I say it's for, for the first-time offenders doing this, it's not going to show on the record providing the email, like attendance, performance, stuff like that. Um, for repeat offenders, I would still offer the course, but the offence that they were put on the course for wouldn't show on the record. Yeah. So let me let me just make sure I got this clear. So you're saying that if you if you're a first time offender, I mean generally first time offenders don't get prison time; they get caution and reprimand, and then and then second time, third time. This is where we're talking to the second offenders and the third time offenders, the repeat offenders. Yeah. So what it would be is like the 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 offences that lead right up until prison, instead of the prison bit, they would then be. Sentenced to college. Yeah, sort of sentenced to college, yeah, is like the, the, the way that we're going to have to describe it. But it is true, you would be sentenced to education. Uh, given a list of courses, you pick one, you get your MVQ or a BTEC, um, you attend the college, you you meet up with a counsellor or a, um, a caseworker at certain intervals, and you talk about what's going on, and you meet certain criteria and attendance and, and performance. And then at the end of the qualification, when you get that certificate, the the offences that have led you right up until this sentencing are just not on your record. Yeah, because if you're applying if you're if you're applying for a job, it does ask you for convictions in the past. So if you've had any convictions, and then if an employer, if I was an employer and I saw someone with no convictions but the same qualification as someone who had convictions, I would definitely you know, this is what we, we are. We, we wouldn't give that person the opportunity, even though they're equally qualified because they've got that conviction. We'd always have that fear of what if we hire this person and they are a danger to my business and my work staff and my what I'm building here. So that's that's where, that's where I agree with you. I agree that they get that opportunity. It's like a total reform. Like a to- they get sentenced to education where they get the qualification. I, I change it a little bit. I mean, relocation away from the environment that they grew up in the environment where they repeatedly committed the offenses they moved out from and also i'd go a bit harder on it once you're sentenced to education and you filled in your reports and you've got your qualification and you've got your attendance record and you report to your caseworker you're then on tag what do you think about that so i mean you can't go back what i'm trying to do is i believe that the environment that people are built, brought up in affects the way they mentally act to commit these crimes. So that's what I'm getting at. I think that if you're in, in that in that habitat, you will go back to your friends and get who haven't changed, who haven't had the opportunities that you have through this new reform system, and then go back to exactly how you were before. And then you're gonna and then I think if you were gonna do it again, even after you've gone through the reform system, 
and you've gone through this system that is totally foolproof. You can get a job, you can get a career, you can get, you can be a functional member of society, which I totally love. I think it's brilliant. But if you go back to the people that you grew up with or that you were associated with when you committed these crimes and then you commit a crime again after going through the reform system, then that goes over your threshold to the next level. Would you agree with that? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think, unfortunately, I think obviously it's a bit of a downfall with the system that I've come up with is that the repeat offenders, after they've done that, it's, sorry, but it's going to have to be, you know, you haven't learned the lesson. We've even given you a bit of a leg up. Um, looks like you're going to be spending some time inside. Um, I think that's maybe a bit of a letdown of my of my system, possibly. Um, I myself personally, I don't see it as a letdown. I think genuinely, um, I'm, as I'm sure we'll discuss in a future episode, you know, some people do need legs up. Some people do need a boost every now and again, and. Unfortunately, when you're offering a boost and you're offering that leg up, sometimes the only person that can help you is yourself. And if you decide to go back and do the things that were that you were doing that's put you in this position, then it's almost on you at that point, in my opinion. Um, so yeah, no, I can, I, I can see, I can definitely see merit to the relocation argument, Paul. Um, however. Again, I'm I'm trying to balance the books on it, and if that relocation puts it over a certain threshold, in terms of cost effectiveness, I think it would depend on crime on the crime. I think if the crime is down to no, let's let's go let's go with like the the line GBH ABH. You're assaulting someone on a regular, but you've done it twice. You know you you committed assault and you've been convicted of it. Um, you get time in prison. So your time in prison may be three, four years or, you know, whatever the sentence is by the judge. Okay. So an MVQ and a course, two years. And then you have your other two years served as a probation on tag in a different location after you've completed the course and that leg up procedure. And then after that, I believe you'd be a rehabilitated person in society. Look at Norway. Their reoffending rate is one in two. So they've got a 50% chance of reoffending, and they got that down. But their, with their system, they got it down to 25% the reoffending rate. So out of four inmates that go in, one person will go back and reoffend because they have that education system in there. Um, obviously, they're a smaller dynamic than us, um, but they have that opportunity to help people reoffend. Um, not to reoffend, sorry. Um, I can see. The relocation thing, I think what I would say is if it's like gang-related crime, then yeah, relocation. Whereas stuff like one-man band going out and committing crimes, I don't necessarily think relocation would work because he's doing it by himself. So it's pointless, almost pointless spending that money. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, but we're, we're still going to help them out once they get out of the, um, once they get the accommodation, the qualifications, they get accommodation while they're doing the qualification at the school. Do they get qualification, do they get accommodation once they come out? Or what's the what's the rule then? Like once they've done the course and you're obviously not paying for rehabilitation, like if they're in prison, they don't have a, like they were probably paying rent or what, what, what situation they were in before. Do they get accommodation sorted out for them once they have this qualification? 
I think yeah, I think yeah, I think possibly like a student accommodation being sorted. Uh, what I would say is uh, during the qualifications, I think the qualifications are going to be run a bit differently. Where there's a quite a bit of work experience involved as well. So what we're hoping is that it almost starts running like an apprentice apprenticeship, where they start earning a wage before they've finished the qualification. So they can start saving that money up to be able to. So they can start paying rent, and saving up for a mortgage potentially. Yeah, and then become a functional member of society. Yeah, I'm over your fence on that one, mate. I mean, the, you, you go with the rehabilitation if it's gang-related and that environment. There's a proven fact that that area mm. is bad for that individual. You agree with rehabilitation. You're in my garden on that one, aren't you? You're over my fence, yeah? Well, I think you're over to mine. Um, what would be your your sort of answer to the law-level crimes on like your system if you've given that some thought? Ah, uh, low-level crimes. So we're, we're still trying, we're tackling overcrowding, so we want to reduce jail sentences, and I'm not going to, I think your idea about rehabilitation and reforming them is fantastic, and giving them that want, and yeah, I love it. I think it's absolutely brilliant. I think that's what we should invest in. What I'm having a problem with is you're saying that the same amount of money to house a prisoner in prison would cost, would be the same cost as giving them accommodation and a college course, I'm not sure if that book's really budge on that. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, hope, really. it was. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think it was a hope. But I mean, I don't know how much the average price is for a, for how much does it cost to house one prisoner for one year? Yeah. So the average cost of a prison price in England and Wales was forty four point six thousand a year. Forty four thousand pound per person per year. Mm-hmm. Jesus Christ! So it might just work. Fucking hell, that's a lot of money, isn't it, mate? Jesus Christ. So the ta- that's the taxpayer paying that money, yeah? Yeah, exactly that. That's all taxpayer funds. Uh, 44.6 thousand a year per inmate, no matter what the crime, as long as they're in prison. That's costing us 44. Right, so then, yeah, bring them out, get them into that reform system. Um, the, 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 I believe there's a higher percentage of, this is where I'm going to get to you, a bit more funding to help the prison system. Now, I'm not sure where you're going to go because I think it's quite a liberal approach and I know how you sit on the fence about liberalism. Um, but I am I'm hoping that you can join me in my garden on this one because I'm going to say something bold. Like we said at the beginning, it's bold statements. You want to put it out there and get the opinions of our listeners. So funding for me right now, drugs, massive, massive problem. 60% of inmates drug-related with the trickle-down effect of being a drug addict. You can't afford drugs. You commit petty crime, like theft, um, assault, because you're under the influence of drugs. So that's that, That's a massive problem in prisons. Drugs, the drugs, the war, the, the war on drugs, as they say. Now, that is a problem. And I want to chew the beef with you on this one, mate. So I'm... I'm trying. I'm going to put it out there. I want to give you. You want you to give me your reaction straight away. I'm just going to say that. Say what I want to do, and then you give me your reaction straight away. So, so before we do this, then, so what? What numbers of prisoners were in the through drug-related crimes and crimes that were caused right, by? Right. So in 2008, 2008. This is a. Uh, so I'm going from 2008 to 2018. So that's a 10-year demographic. In 2008, convictions of drug offences was 30%. So 30% of people that had drugs or had had, had a, a, an offence with drugs ended up in prison. In, in 2018, 
is 46%. That's up 16% in 10 years for people that are going to prison for drug misuse. Now, I fundamentally believe that drug misuse is something that we can still educate into our public from a younger age and in for an older age to reduce the problem. Now, I think we should chew the beef on the education system another time, for sure, but we're not going into that. But 3,000 people per year die from drugs. Um, now, that number, this is where I'm going to get into another bad drugs. 1,500 people die of drug poisoning. So if you have, if you are, you get some bad drugs that are cut with something horrible, or there's rat poison in them or something that's going to be lethal to your health, but you don't know what you're taking, 1,500 people die from drug poisoning. Twenty-five to 3,500 die from overdosing. That's a lot of numbers. Um, so the drugs is what the, the, there's a lot of problems with drug-related crimes, drug dealers, how it affects society, how it affects family members, and they end up in prison a lot. A time and that's every prisoner who's in there because of drug addiction or because drug offenses is costing us forty four thousand pounds taxpayers money each year drugs are a voluntary choice to put into your system you choose to put that into your system until the drug takes control of you this is where the heavy drugs become a problem heroin crack cocaine spice even these days um they want to it's an addictive substance and it causes ruin to your life and they end up in prison because that addiction takes control of them. But I haven't even mentioned the worst one, which is legal, alcohol. I mean, I'm gonna chew the beef with you on alcohol in a second, but please give me your response on how I feel about the, about, about the drugs and the numbers I've given you. So I'm trying to think of, obviously, I'm trying to solve the issue of overcrowding where, whereas I've sort of like draw the line at like the type of crime and then gone for reform or rehabilitation based on the type of crime. You're saying that due to the amount, the high amount of crimes being committed by people who are either drug users or misusers or alcohol abusers, um, you're saying it could be potentially reforming that or almost winning the war on drugs. Yeah, basically. Right, yeah. Well, I'm, well, I'm, well, my, like, you've had a brainchild when it comes to the education and reform system. I've had a brainchild when it comes to the drugs. You draw the line at ABH and GBH. Yeah, there's room between ABH and GBH. Yeah, I'm, like, so we, you want me to draw the line on where I believe that, that drugs should be monitored carefully. Um, okay. So... What I propose to you, we have at the moment rehabilitation centers for drug addicts, which for some reason they don't work because they want to stop the drug use. Now, the drug use is a choice for the person. So you go to rehab and then you do your do the 10 steps, 12 steps, and then you go out, yeah, you last a couple of weeks and you're back on the drug. The drug calls to you. It doesn't, you know, an, addict, an addiction is an addiction and it will call to you. Now, we have uses centers for alcohol. They're called pubs. 
what I propose to you is uses centers for drugs and drug addicted, drug addictive personnel, people addicted to drugs have uses centers, just like alcoholics have pubs. They have uses centers, which are monitored, controlled, regulated. So the drugs that they are getting, if they choose so to use, is safe. So it will eliminate drug poisoning. It will eliminate drug addicts on the street. They go to this, it's a rehabilitation center, but not for rehabilitation. It's your choice. You go there. If you want to be drug addict, you go to this rehabilitation center. Not a rehabilitation, this use center. So it's it's almost like um, saying that this is a safe place where you can come use whichever drug it is that you want to use almost alleviating so i'm trying to think of what, what angle we're sort of coming on here so is it is it sort of a case of like taking obviously we're trying to reduce overcrowding in prisons and how does a usage center for drug addicts reduce the amount of people in prison if they have the usage center that are nationalized controlled by the government usage centers controlled by the government so the drugs are regulated and controlled in a in a dosage amount that they are allowed to take so they will not overdose and they are tested so they will not get poisoned so they're safe it's 100 percent safe that the person there is safe and taken care of it reduces it drug dealers drug dealers the people that they get their drugs off of who are a problem who like to thrive of selling drugs to these people who are tortured by their addiction, they sell it. Now, there's wellness, there's uses centers for alcohol, and alcohol is the most dangerous drug out there, and it's legal. They're pubs. Mitch, there's no reason why uses centers cannot be a thing if they are controlled and regulated, where people can go to be safe, also, in these usage centers, there is offers of rehabilitation, counseling, a safe, safe space that is away from crime, away from the streets, their choice to go. They can leave whenever they want, but they will not be able to get that drug. If they want that drug, they go to that usage center. So, uh, I, if, if I'm a drug addict and I'm addicted to heroin, for example... I go to this usage centre, it's a nationalised system, am I expected to still pay for the heroin? I want this this usage centre to combine with yourself. The first of all, there's got to be a want. I think that maybe people get off the rush of looking, of chasing the dragon is what they call it. You're looking to chase it, to, to find that next fix. And I think that people get off on finding that next fix. Like, I'm scratching, I'm stressed unless I get that fix. So that we alleviate that by the usage center. They go there, they know they can get the drug. So that, that fear of not having that drug is gone from them. So that I think is part of the rush of addiction is that rush of trying to find that next rush is alleviated. Now you're asking how it's funded. Taxpayer. Well, no, what I'm asking is as a, as a, as a, drug, addict, a drug addict going through the doors, are they expected to pay for the drug that they wish to use? No. So who does pay for it? The taxpayer. Right. 
Have I pissed you off now, Mitch? Well, it's it's a bit of a funny one, isn't it? Wanna, do you want to know how? Uh, mate, I've, I've got I've got numbers for you, mate. If you if you want to know how I'm going to do it, hit me hit me with some numbers. Well, well, I'll hit you with the numbers. I'll hit you with the with the with how it's going to be funded. So, heroin, crack, cocaine, all the all the drugs that are detrimental to the health that they want to do is paid for by the taxpayer. But they have a problem. They go there to the usage centres. Okay. So these probably the unproductive members of society go to the usage center. They go to the usage center. Once they alleviate the, the use of that rush of trying to find the next fix, they know it's right there. They know they can come back and do it anytime. They can start being integrated into the society. They can get that want, and then they can enter into your rehabilitation program. They're not obviously in prison from creating crimes. So you're saving money on the, on the £44,000 a year from paying from the prisons that they're, they're not in from committing drug-related crimes. There's no drug dealers, so they're not in prison because the drugs are available for the drug addicts. So drug dealers are gone. That's that's money there. Now I'm gonna. This is where I'm hoping that I'm gonna get you because I'm very liberal and I, I want you to understand that in America, in Canada, Amsterdam is not. It's a grey area, but in America and Canada, marijuana is legalized. Okay, marijuana is a plant that grows in the ground and it has a lot of medical benefits. It also, quite a lot of people enjoy doing it recreationally. Okay? It's not physically addictive. And that drug should be, in this country, made legalized, regulated, and taxed to pay for the uses centers and for your educational system. It also would alleviate overpopulation in prisons overcrowding would be down 60 percent inmates drug related crime you take you've got to sort the problem out with drugs to deal with that one the overcrowding problem so we so so the angle that you're taking is if we if we sort of win 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 the war on drugs we win the war essentially on overcrowded prisons and the way we're going to tackle that is by giving <clears throat> Giving drug addicts a safe place to use those drugs free of charge, which almost takes the power and the profit out of being a drug dealer. I completely get that. Yes, that is exactly right. Um, and we're saying that the funding on this is going to be through the legalization and taxation of marijuana. What what sort of numbers are we looking at in America? How much is the marijuana market worth? What to a, a private seller or to like, how much they're making per 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 gram or per weight? I mean, you measure milk in liters, you measure marijuana in grams, and they're selling their ounces depending on the type of strain of weed or the quality. Just like we have in this country of how our meats graded from A, B, or C, or how our corns graded. Um, I think you have a bit of background in the farming market. So how how's farming how's farming graded? in this country so yeah so basically i mean it depends on how you how you want to run the system um the global legal cannabis market was estimated in the u.s to be 17.8 billion 17.8 billion and and it's expected to reach 22.1 billion so you're saying there's 22.1 billion dollars of money, of taxable money, 
Well, that's market, market value. value. So market value. So, oh, I see. So potentially, potentially, you know, uh, obviously, an amount of that would would enter the economy for sure. Um, the revenue forecast in twenty thirty is one hundred and thirty four billion. So it's it's only looking to be growing. Um, growth rate of 25.3% every year. So in 10 years time, in eight years time, 134 billion pound market that the UK is going to choose not to opt into in order to use that money to help overcrowded prisons by rehabilitating drug offenders and alleviating drug dealers. I like them numbers, Mitch. Do you like them numbers, mate? I mean, I know I'm liberal on this legalizing the plants and the world that grow in the earth. Well, I mean... I mean, I've always tried not to make judgment on people. I don't agree necessarily with um, drug taking, whether that be, well, for whatever reason, recreationally or anything. Um, I can I can understand that, you know, you, the funding's there if the market value is so big. Um, the use of centres, I, I, personally, I struggle to get behind. However, I do appreciate that, you know, we're taking the power away from drug dealers and potentially the the money away from drug dealers, alleviating that. Um, I do wonder if they, if drug dealers would turn to another sort of crime. This is um, this is this this water hasn't been swamming before, Mitch. This is why this show exists. This is where we're. We're with the, we did say it was broad when we started this episode. This is going to be a broad thing, and we're going to get onto an even broader subject next after this with the tackling over crown. But I'm not finished with this. I could I could definitely I could see some of it, and I, obviously I could see that you know drug issues are more prevalent inside of prisons. People going into prisons, obviously taking up drugs inside prisons as well. Um, the numbers. Have, have, have gone up in recent years of people going into prison and becoming addicted. Drugs are a problem. My, 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 my issue, I think, that I find with it is if drugs are more accessible in legal avenues and people can get hold of them more, would it mean that there are more drugs out on the street? The drugs, that they can't leave the centre. Uh, it's a controlled... Uh, nationalized system where they they can't leave they they that is there they go to that area to do their drugs they can't leave it is the search before they go in the search before they go out drugs are not allowed they're only allowed to buy a certain amount for their own self use um they're only allowed to get a certain amount for themselves when they go to these uses centers enough to fulfill their addiction and i think that as as we have paid for this through the legalization of cannabis through that untapped market that the UK is unwilling to go to, um, we would be able to afford a nationalised system to help manage the addiction of people in a useless centre with a rehabilitation programme, which will reduce overcrowding in prisons from drug-related crime, drug dealers, and then they can take part in your education system to become a fully functional member of society again. All paid for by the legalization of cannabis, which is only going to be allowed to be smoked in your house or in certain licensed premises. Exactly like you have alcohol and pubs, you will have shops to smoke cannabis and you will have areas to smoke cannabis like you have pubs to smoke cannabis. 
uh, to, to drink alcohol, like you have pubs to drink alcohol. And now it doesn't stop people from drinking on the beach, does it? You see people with tinnies down the beach and their little cooler. Is that legally allowed? No. Yeah, it's not, but that's... Yeah, a few tinnies on the train and that. <laughs> so legalization of cannabis, a fair taxation system for a nationalized usage, wellness, recovery, rehabilitation center, all paid for by the legalization and taxation of cannabis that will reduce overcrowding in prisons due to drug-related crime and drug dealers. And that is my final point on this subject before we move on. Do you have anything to add, or am I, are you happy with me wrapping up? Yeah, I can, I can see it working. I can. Um, I think, obviously, this is where you've taken like a more targeted approach and sort of gone with drug-related crime being a high percentage of crime and being a high percentage of offenders in prison. And they've sort of gone for, if we can solve drug issues, we might be able to solve overcrowding issues. That's correct. Almost like they're both hand in hand. Whereas I've gone for like a more generalised and said that all lower crime, you know, sort of like one strike, you do education and then second strike, it looks like you might just end up facing prison time. Um, Might help with the reform bit. I could definitely see both working. Um, yeah, I think I think I think it does need. Obviously, I think obviously we don't know what the numbers numbers would be on a, a marijuana market in the UK. Um, but yeah, I, I can definitely see some stuff working. It's got some really good points in that. Um, yeah, well, fair enough. Well, I'm glad I'm glad you like it, Mitch, and I'm happy that you have kind of sort of met me in the middle of the fence. We both agreed, like we said, we wouldn't agree. On the, we, we, we both agree on the issue of overcrowding and prison reform. We both agreed on that, and we both thought we wouldn't agree on how we're going to get there. But I'm happy that we've come to an amicable agreement when it comes to this. Now, what I want to do is I want to put it to the listeners. Our listeners out there, if you agree with us or you have any other ideas on how we can tackle the amount it's costing the taxpayer and the overcrowding in pro- prisons, and how we can reform the prisons in this country any other ways, please comment on our Twitter page at LotFence or our Instagram page at LotFence. And we can change this and hopefully see where this society grows. Because we have to move forward. We have to get this divide down. Anyway, I think we're going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back with the other end of the scale um, for more serious crime on prison reform. What do we do about more serious crime and prison reform? That's the next step. I'll see you in a minute. Cheers. Welcome back to Looking Over the Fence, where today we are tackling overcrowding in prisons and hopefully a bit of reform while we tackle that issue. Um, We've discovered that we actually have some sort of an agreement. We're sort of knocking down the fence and spending time in each other's garden on on low-level crime the reasons behind it, potentially, you know, coming up with a solution to the issues behind low-level crime and hopefully a bit of reform on offenders of low-level crime. Um, How do you feel so far about that, Paul? I feel, mate, to be honest, to have that fence down and to have met in the middle and to be sharing a barbecue to cook both our foods on is absolutely brilliant, mate. I'm really happy that we got that and I'm hoping that our listeners agree with us on on these 
these are these brainchilds of ours because I think they're brilliant. I mean, I'm uh, at the moment the system's broken, so a solution is needed, and we've just given a couple of solutions out there, um, which are funded and feasible, we believe, and I'm hoping that our listeners agree with. But that is that, and I'm going to put that bad boy to bed. I'm happy that we both agree, and we can move on to the next subject more serious crime murders pedophiles rape what do you do mitch about that to reduce overcrowding or to well you know inform. this is where my system is going to have a bit more of a divide um i'm not too sure if you know you, you, you you're going to be staying on my side of the, you're going to be staying in my garden with the barbecue but um basically um this is i've put quite a lot more thought into my larger my more serious level crimes than i have my lower level crimes in terms of the overcrowding issue um i've come up with um it's a system um with three thresholds and um the end game is well not the end game it's not what we're aiming for but we're bringing back capital punishment. What? So what? Yes. Bringing back capital punishment, mate. Um, now, I want to make it abundantly clear that as a broad generalisation, I don't think there's going to be many, many cases that actually qualify, never mind many cases that actually make it all right, the okay, way. Well, so, sorry, so how are you saying that, what, so you've come up with like a qualification system to get from the, the, the time of the offence or the time of the crime to being hung in public? Well, I'm, I don't necessarily mean hung in public. I mean capital punishment. Um, I don't think public is a good idea. Go on, go, go into more detail about what, what uh, capital punishment, like um, for people who rape, they get castrated kind of thing. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not actually against a, a sort of chemical castration for people who have um, raped, paedophiles, stuff like that. Uh, I believe my 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 firm belief is that justice is what the victim would see fit, or the victim's family would see fit. Oh, so the victim's family have to pursue this. Yeah. So this is basically I'll talk you through my brainchild of an idea. So um, there's a fella, um, David. He's gone out. He's having a few drinks. Um, he's had a falling out with someone. That person that he's fallen out with has taken a week to plan it, has come out the next weekend and murdered our, our, our hero of the story, David. Undeniable. Um, David's family is premeditated, which is obviously, there's obviously legal things that we're not qualified to talk about fully, but obviously we can give quite an idea on it. Um, David has been murdered. It's premeditated, it's murder, it's been caught on CCTV. We can see the guy's face on the CCTV. All the evidence has been gathered completely legally and it's there for the world to see. David's family, as distraught as they would be, I believe, would have the choice, should have the choice. They can either pursue death or life and when i say life i mean life in prison um that person will spend 
the rest of their life in prison. And I know we are trying to tackle overcrowding, but I believe for more serious crimes, more serious punishments, almost acting as a deterrent, I think would work. Now, right, I'll continue on. So the the process being that um, obviously we have judges in this country. Um, what would happen is judges would be made aware that we're going to start bringing back capital punishment. Um, judges would apply or make themselves available for capital punishment cases. Once a family declares that they would like to pursue the death penalty, the prosecution would then make um, make other parties aware that they were going to pursue the death penalty. On a pre-court hearing, which is my first threshold, the judge would go over strictly the legal facts of the case. The evidence, the legal facts, it's closed, there's nobody else there, it's just the prosecution, the defence and the defendant. And then obviously the judge. Going through the facts of the case and the judge would then decide if one, the case is clear-cut enough, the evidence is clear-cut enough, there's no legal issues as to why the case would fall through going for the death penalty. And then we go through to the next threshold, which would be a jury of the defendant's peers. Um, the jury system as it is now, I don't have anything against it. However, bringing back the death penalty, I would say we do an application process for say 150, 200 people up and down the country who would be fine being a juror in a death penalty case. They would apply, they would go through a testing procedure want to make sure that, you know, there's no moral ambiguity in the jurors, uh, jurors lifestyle or their choices or their thoughts. And there's no, there's no outliers. Basically what I'm trying to do is make the threshold, not a sliding scale. So one jury as it stands, one jury of someone's peers could say, yes, that's definitely qualifying as a death penalty. And then another jury looking at the same case could say potentially that it's not. I'm trying to get rid of that. I'm trying to make it not a sliding scale. I'm trying to make a bar as set as I can with a limited amount of jurors that specifically go for death penalty cases based on their ability to look at evidence, their ability to look at case studies, um, the moral compass almost and how and their beliefs, and then obviously making it representative of the population. Um, both with ethnicity, religion, sexuality, gender, um, as 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 fair of a representation of someone's peers as we can get it. Right. So yeah, brilliant. So you're looking for a fair, unbiased jury. Yes. That has an application and a vetting process to be on that jury. Do they get paid to be on that jury? Yeah. So I mean, you already get paid to be on a jury. A jury anyway. However, for if you are selected and you are asked to come in for a death penalty case, you are paid more for doing it because there's a lot more stress involved it's as simple as that um of course and that's yeah. the second threshold yeah. the third threshold that i'm going to put in is going to be like another branch of the justice system and i'm going to call it like the branch of appeals or the appeals department kind of like america how you have an appeals system there where you get three appeals and it takes 10 years to run out of appeals in america I am not proposing that because I think that also causes an issue with overcrowding. Um, I am going to say that you get six months to appeal, you get one appeal. As long as you can appeal on reasonable grounds, 
that instantly takes the death penalty off the table. Because the whole point for me of sentencing someone to death is that there is it's beyond reasonable doubt. Um, there's absolutely no questioning the legalities. There's no question in terms of, you know, the, the defence being maybe insanity. Um, the jury have looked at all that and come to the conclusion that he knew what he was doing. He knew it was wrong. Um, and find them to be guilty anyway. Um, and then the third one being an appeal, maybe there was some evidence that was gained unlawfully. As soon as they make a reasonable appeal, the death penalty is then off the table and we automatically revert to, if found guilty, life. In prison. Life in prison means life in prison. And, and that means life in prison. Yeah, no, Mitch, I... Yeah, I really love... I don't want to say I love the death penalty because it's it's immoral. I mean, I mean, it's not. It's right. If they've taken a life, then they deserve to have their life taken. I get, I get where you're coming from. I really do. Um, I don't know if I... I mean, you've put a system in place which makes it pretty good. I mean, it's not going to happen. There'll be few and far between for these death penalties. Yes. Um, which I like. Um, obviously, you know why Like, there was a big controversy around the death penalty anyway. Um, Derek Bentley. Yeah, so obviously a lot... Of a lot of the controversies really are surrounded by wrongful convictions. Um, I wholeheartedly believe that we have the science and the backing and a system that works well enough to weed those out. Yeah, in this in the in this in this twenty first century now, we are more scientifically evolved to get the proof and the facts. Like they've got cameras that take pictures if you're wearing your seatbelt or if you're on your phone now. There's there's that technology does exist now for us to legally be able to, without beyond a doubt, find the evidence to convict someone of the death penalty. And you're totally right. Whereas back when it was abolished uh, in the 60s, um, they didn't have that technology. So, so yeah, I, I guess, yeah. Exactly. So, obviously, there's, there's criteria that's got to be met, and the criteria is going to be so rigorous that death penalty cases are going to be few and far between. Um, now, if the way the system is going to work, in my eyes, I can envision it, that once the death penalty is on the table and it meets that criteria, I think the numbers might be interesting as to how many actually follow through and how, how many actually get to the appeals and how many actually go through and end up obviously with somebody being... I think you've, I think you've really... I, 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 Mitch, I wasn't... When you first said it, I was a bit like, no, I'm not going for this. But with that appeals process and that clear cut, I think that is. I think that's brilliant. I think well, not brilliant, but I think it's uh, the system. The... Well, yeah. So I mean, I've had a look as well at the numbers of people who who do agree with capital punishment. A YouGov did a poll. Um, in terms of the general population, only forty percent agreed. Fifty percent, yeah, forty percent agreed. Fifty percent disagreed, but ten undecided. Um, a lot more people who agree are conservative voters um, at 58% and only 34% of conservative voters disagree with the death penalty. Labour voters, you'll find only 17% agreed um, and 66% disagreed. Men agree more than women. And it tends to be that the older you get, the more you agree with the, the death penalty. 65 plus being 54%. And 18 to 24 has been 16%. So 
what I've tried to do with the system is make it so that any worries that people may have about the case itself and potentially somebody who's innocent being sentenced to death make it as as, as fair and as safe as possible for those people um now obviously in terms of the jurors and stuff like that and the judges what i've sort of thought about is maybe giving them a year-long contract but one that they can renew because obviously it is going to be a stressful a stressful job and potentially they know that when they leave that courtroom that person in within like at the end of the six month appeal period is going to be put put to sleep um and to live with that to live with that you know that would really affect, that would affect your mental that would affect your mental health and be your ability to do your everyday job wouldn't it that's why but and to live with that exactly so you get a year long contract psychological valuation of the of the people that apply to do this position should be strong enough to be able to do that but i like that mitch um we don't you don't have to go in anymore mate i really i i wasn't convinced but i am a little bit convinced more i am convinced no i'm not gonna sit on the fence i'll come over your garden uh capital punishment if it's clear cut yes i agree um but this life uh, life in prison means life in prison yeah i totally agree now i want to bring something to the table about life in prison because it's still costing us 44 grand a year for his whole life just to fucking put him in prison and leave him there so how do we make that money back a year, exactly. So you say the average life mm -hmm. is, you know, sixty years. You know what I mean? It's just taking that's taken a lot of money to pay pay for that prison to be there. So I wanna give a more uh, you know I wanna give a more better approach to the people that spend life in prison. Um so they're in they're in prison, but at the moment prisoners who are in prison are allowed to work. Okay, they are allowed to work in prisons for a one pound, one pound fifty an hour. Okay, we have to pay them something because it's against their human rights to not work. But get this, okay, the items that they make in prison, that there's a lot of people in prison working in like a making tracksuits or making plastic forks or making things that people use. Okay, but get this, they could only be sold to government. So prisons make things for other prisons for government buildings. Uh, there was a prison that used to, there was a prison that used to make windows, but the windows were only used for government buildings, which they believe would alleviate the taxpayer paying for the windows to be repaired on the government buildings because the prisoners are being made to remake the windows cheaper than how a private company would charge the government. Now, if we were say then windows were available to the public, we're not allowed to do that because that is against the human rights. We're not allowed to pay a prisoner, a murderer who's in prison for a whole life, pound fifty an hour to make windows to pay, to, to give for someone to make profit off of. So if that prison was to make profit by selling the products of a prisoner to the public, that is not allowed. Now, that's where I want to change Well, things. it sounds backwards considering that we have companies that have extremely cheap labour making a profit over here anyway. Oh, because obviously they're, they're using in China, in sweatshops in China, child labour. 
their conscience their conscience is clear their conscience is clear because it's out of the country where they have no hu uh, humanitarian laws in china so they can they can work 15 hours a day for 50p an hour and they're making millions and but then why, why do they not have a conscience if someone who's a murderer or a rapist or a pedophile who's serving time in prison should be able to help the british economy so help the british economy make Britain great again use the prisoners use the prisoners. still pay them they're one pound one pound fifty an hour they are being punished mitch they have done something terrible that is why they're in prison and this is only for the top offenders like the people who don't want to go through the reform process the people who don't get the death penalty they are now in charge labor it's cheap labor and we, we, we're, our conscience are clear because we don't see the sweatshops. They don't advertise them on the BBC about the sweatshops in China or in Taiwan or in Indonesia. They don't advertise them. But we need to make that more of an advertisement to be a deterrent to commit crime. Now, there used to be something called the chain gang where prisoners were chained together and they would go out and clean, clean the park clean the highways, clean graffiti. I want that back. I want people to be shared. I, I totally, they're still getting paid for it. It's cheap, but they're outside, they're getting fresh air and they're benefiting society and they're benefiting Britain. And we're not giving that money, even if they're, if, even if they're making produce for the British people to use, or if they're using, or, or if they're cleaning up the, the environment, they're still benefiting Britain. And that is what we are. But we'd rather pay a Chinese person and the Chinese economy money cheap when we've got all these people who are sitting around costing us £44,000 a year when they could be working. They're practically okay to work. Do you know what I mean? They, I, I, can I get you? I mean, I've, I've come over the fence with the death penalty, but I mean, do you not agree that we... Is it against their human rights? They've committed a crime for them to be paid less. I mean, they've, we've, we've given them every chance. The reform process, the usage centres, and they still end up in prison. Do we capitalise as a nation on the inmates' ability to work? It's a true... I think, for me, personally... Um... I can get with the idea. My idea of prison time for me, knowing that these knowing that these people are going to have longer sentences and they're going to be serving life potentially, twenty five years meaning twenty five years, thirty years meaning thirty years. Um, you know, maybe finding them something to do in that time is good. I do think, however, that the human rights element is almost nil and void because we're telling someone that they're going to spend the rest of their life in a prison. And we're going to tell other people that they're going to serve the death penalty. The human rights law that we have currently has to change. Have you got anything to add? I mean, we've gone through the whole... We've gone through the prison... Your idea itself would be longer sentences and find them work to do. That would that would finance them being in prison for longer periods of time. You didn't necessarily have capital punishment in there, but 
But my idea of the capital punishment system would work in your oh, system as well. Oh, I agree. I agree. But it's but like you said, it's few and far between and the process has to be followed. And there is a chance, even if that process is followed, that they will still spend life in prison. So I'm saying once they get through your categories and they don't get the death penalty or capital punishment and they end up in prison, once they're in prison, they are now, I don't want to say slave because that word is uh, not politically correct. but they... Employees of the state. Employees of the state. Employees of the state, yes. There we go, beautiful. Employees of the state, because they have chosen to give up their humanitarian rights by committing their atrocities. Well, I think we can definitely meet on the fence. I would tell you what I would be. I would be very interested to hear what some of our listeners think as well. Um, if anything could be added, or if the Twitter mob decide that, you know, we're animals and we should be cancelled, so... I'd be interested to see what happens on They're that. They're going to flatten us with our fence, aren't they, Mitch? They're going to flatten us with the fence that we've built. Um, <laughs> but no, yeah, no, I'm glad we can... I think, yeah, I think obviously it's a touchy subject and that's why we made the podcast is because sometimes there are touchy subjects out there and we need to chew the fat on them um, and hopefully come to a compromise. And, you know, Keir Starmer listened to our idea clearly about nationalised energy, maybe. Yeah. So with, yeah, um, yeah. When you get yeah, maybe someone who's in power will listen to our prison reform plan, which is literally, I think, brilliant. So let me just recap for our listeners: lower, lower offences, reform prison, education system, which is funded the same amount of money that costs for a convict to go into prison, drug rehabilitation, drug uses centres, legalised cannabis to pay for the uses centres, which will then alleviate drug dealers and drug offensive crimes, and then as a deterrent for more serious crimes, capital punishment. And if capital punishment falls through, a deterrent of being an employee of the state for the remainder of your sentences. Listeners, yes or no, opinions now, type and comment on this episode. Let us know because we need to get this divide down. We need to find a solution and we need you to help us. But until next time, I'm Paul. And I'm Mitchell. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Cheers, Mitch. Cheers, mate.